RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, check out crushperformance.com and stay tuned. As I've been mentioning, we've been working on a new website. It is on its way. We get closer every single day, but I'm really excited about this. Uh, a lot of new ways to share information, some really cool new stuff on there. And of course, you know, as technology, like everywhere else, expands. Uh, the internet and websites uh, is no different. There's so many more things we can do uh, on on websites now to share information and get you to where you want to be. Uh, stay tuned for that. It's coming, and we'll keep you posted. On social media, follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush. And you can search out Crush Performance on all other social media platforms. Okay, listen, we are into the Olympics here. And I tell you what, I, I love it. I love everything about the Olympics. There's not a sport I won't watch, and there's not a country or athlete I won't cheer for, man. I just love great performances. And there's been so many unbelievable things going on here at these Olympics so far. I think we're into day six right now. Uh, the leaderboard has been interesting in terms of medals. Uh, it's fun to watch. I don't really, you know, it's too early to really count the medals. Uh, but but it's always fun to see how these countries are doing. You know, you look at some of the uh, um, winter powerhouses like Sweden, Canada, Russia, even the U.S. They're all doing well. But this is going to change drastically as we work through the games. But boy, oh boy, you know. Um, I, I think it's just so inspiring. That's the thing I love about the Olympics. And as I mentioned, it doesn't matter what country. We see a snowboarder getting a good run from some obscure country or an athlete we've never heard of before. They're getting a good run in and you're cheering for them and they fall and you're in disbelief for them and you hurt for them. It's just a beautiful thing. I think maybe the only time, like I, being Canadian, of course, we're watching Canada proudly and hoping that they do well. Uh, but there's so many great performances go on. I think... I think the only time that I'll just, you know, it's in hockey. You know, I cheer for when Canada's playing hockey, we're cheering for for Canada. And oh my goodness, women's hockey, women's hockey is slowly coming to a new level. And I think it's driven, of course, by the U.S. and Canada, the two global powerhouses in women's hockey. But when those two teams meet, wow, unbelievable. In the early parts of the tournament, of course, uh, they met to finalize the group standings, uh, Canada won over the U.S., but that doesn't mean anything. I think that just fuels the fire for what's probably going to be uh, a rematch for the Olympic gold medal here coming up. Uh, it's just so fun to watch. And when you talk about great rivalries in sport, that is one of them that's going to resonate for all time. Because if you hear the athletes talk about you know, the, uh, the other country, the Canadians talking about the U.S., the U.S. talking about the Canadians. There is an unbelievable respect there. There certainly is on both sides. Uh, but there's also just a huge longing to dominate and win uh, uh, when, they, when those two face off. And there's no other countries that come close to these two teams. And so some of the uh, conversation revolving around the women's hockey is, should it even be in the Olympics? Well, I mean, it's kind of a silly conversation because uh, if you look at some of the other sports where, you know, typically countries have dominated, take Norway in cross-country skiing, for example, or the Netherlands in on, on, on the speed, uh, speed skating track, right? They've dominated. If you look at the sprinting in the Summer Olympics, you can think about Jamaica dominating, the U.S. dominating for years and years, but the other countries are catching up. They really are. And now that's what I think what's fueling the fire for women's hockey here is the other countries are really trying to compete. I think what? Take Denmark, for example. They won their first Olympic game ever. You know, and other teams have scored their first goal versus the U.S. and their first goal on Team Canada. It's slowly coming. It's a true long game. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but but that's that's why we want these teams to be out there front and center playing and driving women's sport forward. So what a rivalry to watch. One of the fun things to watch here. But the Winter Olympics have become so cool. You know, they're kind of like an extension of the X Games or the Dew Tour with all of the 
cool sports. The freestyle skiing, you know, you have, the, of course, the moguls, you have the aerials, you've got slope style, you've got ski cross, you have big air now. It is just so incredible to watch along with the classics, of course, all the figure skating, speed skating, cross country skiing, so many great things going down and so many great storylines. But there's something that really resonates here in the world of crush performance. Again, our 2022 theme is organizational and team performance. And, you know, when we look at the Olympics, this really, really crosses over. I mean, you look at some of these countries that go out to dominate and they uh, set really aggressive medal counts, Canada, the US, Russia, Germany, China being the uh, home country has very, very high expectations for these Olympics and rightfully so. But, you know, there is one country that we should all be looking at for the simple reason, when it comes to the Winter Olympics, they're the best. And they're also starting to make a push on the summer side as well. You know, in the past, we've talked at the Olympics about the incredible success of Australia in the summer games. Well, Australia is here and they've got two winter Olympic medals already. So they're starting to spread their wings and build their depth from the uh, summer success that they've had into the winter. Just like Norway has classically been the dominating country in the winter Olympics, they're starting to make a push into some of the summer events as well. But when you want to talk about organizational and team performance, how often do you get to look at an entire country and how they operate? Well, you have to talk about Norway here. Okay. Ever since the first Winter Games in 1924, no country has won more medals. Norway has won since the first appearance they made at the Winter Olympics, 368 medals. And over half of those are in cross-country skiing, but no country comes close to that. How does a country of 5.4 million people dominate global sport? If you go back to 1994, they were number one in medals with 26. In 2018, they were number one in medals with 39. And they're predicted to be number one here at 2022 uh, with an estimated 45 medals when all is said and done here. And you have to wonder, how does a country that size compete with some of the Goliaths like Germany, Canada, the US, Sweden, Russia, and Austria? Germany is sending 209 athletes, as an example. Canada, 293. The US has 372 athletes at the 2022 Winter Games, Sweden 256, Russia 230, Austria has 210. Norway has sent 103 athletes and they're predicted not just to have the most medals, but to crush everybody in their path. You gotta wonder what is going on in Norway. Well, let's dig a little deeper. Here's one thing we do know about Norway. They start sport early and not just any sport, the Norwegians are pretty much born with skis on their feet. They love cross-country skiing, and that's really where they make their mark at the Winter Olympics. And it's a pretty smart approach if you think about it. I mean, there's 15 sports at the Winter Olympics, 109 medal events, and 69 medals in the cross-country skiing events. Cross-country skiing itself offers 36 medals. Norway will probably win about a third of those. And there's 33 medals in the biathlon, and Norway will probably take nine or 10 of those. So if you take 20 medals from two sports and then sprinkle a few over the others, you're on your way to absolutely dominating. It's a runaway against countries like Germany, Canada, U.S., Sweden, Russia, Austria, who have way more athletes, who commit way more money to their Olympic programs, and yet they can't compete. Yes, Norway does invest in high performance. There's no question about it. Every country does, and you're not going to compete on the world stage without some form of a very, very elaborate high-performance program. But that's not their secret sauce. Their secret sauce comes well before anybody's thinking about Olympic performance other than cheering on their heroes. When it comes to their Olympic programs, they don't really focus on medal counts like some of the other countries. They focus on good performances. They know that if they can build themselves up to have a good performance, be in the right physical state and the right mental state, when it comes to competing, if they're in the place where they know they can have a good performance, they're going to compete for those medals. It's like something we talk about on this show quite often. You know, we always talk about the process of long-term athlete development. And the true goal 
of a well-designed long-term program is not to create elite performance. It's to create a process where people can enjoy sport, prosper in sport, stay in sport. And one of the great byproducts of that type of system is by far more high-performing athletes, fewer injuries, less dropout rates, more people staying in sport longer. And so you have this beautiful increase in high-performing athletes or athletes that want to pursue that high-performance pathway. Well, at the same time, everybody else goes on to enjoy sport for life. And then they have kids. And because the parents are enjoying enjoying sport and they're out there doing things, guess what happens to the kids? Well, the kids automatically are entrenched in an in an environment and a culture where sports just part of the daily way of living. And that's what's happening in Norway. Okay. Friendlier, nicer, happier. You might say rather than faster, higher, and stronger. Norway's dominance is about something way, way more than sport. And it really does start with their kids. One of the things that's really interesting about Norway society is this whole idea of equality. They have an incredible government support program that um, sponsors sport and sport activities. So there's access for everybody. Kids are playing a lot of different sports because they can. So these great government programs in Norway are allowing kids to choose and access sport. It's not exclusive and it's not expensive, but there's something more. The entire country of Norway is on board with a developmental sort of philosophy for their kids. There are absolutely no scores or stats until the age of 13. For the Norwegian kids, fun trumps competition. And imagine what that does for kids. Less anxiety, less pressure to compete, less pressure to win, which is huge. So they're out there having fun. And guess what happens? That leaks into their their teen years, into their young adult lives and into their adulthood. And that cycle just keeps on burning. Now, if they do decide to pick the or, or, or pursue a high performance pathway, it's there. And there's something else that really happens in Norway that, that's starting to happen around the world. But it's so condensed and so close. Their Olympic programs operate under an umbrella where they're... Experts, their performance staff, and their coaches are together almost on a daily basis. There's an incredible sharing of information. And for some of the coaches that have gone from the U.S. to coach over there, or from Canada to coach over there, when you hear what they say about the, the, the programs in, in Norway, um, they say nothing compares to it. Here in Canada, you know, we have the Own the Podium program. Here they're talking about, in Norway, they're talking about, you know, just having a good performance. In the U.S. and North America, there's such a focus on youth sport and and year-round sport and winning and competition, where in Norway, they're encouraging no scores, no stats to the age of 13, and just pursuing and experiencing multiple sports till you decide, hey, maybe, maybe I'll be good at this, or maybe I like that, and then you chase it down. You know, they've really designed a system that reminds me a lot of um, what Iceland had done years ago for their youth. The Iceland youth, if you remember this back in the day, Iceland was notorious for their youth in crime and drug use and alcoholism. And what Iceland did is they mandated a policy for access to the arts, access to music programs, to singing programs, to art programs, painting, sculpting, building. And they also had a mandate for access to sport. The kids in Norway no longer had to pay for sport. What happened when kids started getting together with their pals and going into, you know, a a choir or started getting into an art program or started learning how to play um, instruments to start a band or they started playing sport together? Well, it really didn't take long for Iceland to turn that ship around. Today, Iceland tops the European table for the cleanest living teams. For example, the number of 15 and 16-year-olds who have been drunk the previous month went from 42% in 1998 to less than 5%. The percentage who have never used cannabis is down from 17 to under 7. And those smoking cigarettes every day fell from 23% to lower than 3%, all because the government made a commitment to their youth giving them access to the arts and sport. It's not rocket science. I don't know how other countries aren't cluing in here. 
And when it goes to that Iceland study, it's a fascinating read. If you want to go back, you just have to Google it. You can Google it and read all the fascinating, but they just, they just really went to understand what drives youth. And they looked at the chemistry and the brain development of youth and they broke it all down and came up with this idea. Well, Hey, if we keep our kids active, would they maybe get into less trouble? I mean, how can we not be doing that everywhere? Well, think about Norway. That's what Norway does just naturally. This is how they've evolved. Iceland made a commitment, coast to coast, countrywide movement to give kids access to arts and sport. Well, it's part of the culture in Norway. So it's no wonder that they just absolutely dominate the winter sports. When kids are playing sport in their youth in Norway, it's for fun, man. They're having fun. There's very little pressure. And the pressure doesn't even really mount that much until you get to the Olympic level. And then it's not about winning or losing. It's just going out there, preparing properly, and having a performance. And when you're at a level of performance where you can compete with the best in the world, guess what? You get to fly that Norwegian flag and go to the Olympics. And when you do look at their high-performance Olympic programs, you know, they're not investing like other countries. The Ski Federation alone only has $6 million of funding in this last Olympic quadrennial plan. If you compare that to like $17 million that Canada will spend on freestyle and, and the fact that Norway's entire winter budget is one-tenth that of the UK's and yet they still dominate, you know there's something great going on there. And also in their Olympic high performance programs, um, they do have expectations and mandates. You know, go back to our conversation uh, about the All Blacks and uh, how they operate. They've got some very, very strict policies written and created by the players. And one of the first things you do when you open the All Blacks handbook, player handbook, is there's a saying, no dickheads. They just won't stand for it. You can't have somebody coming in and poisoning the organization. Well, Norway has a very, very similar approach. No jerks allowed. No jerks allowed. It's just a, it's a, it's a cultural thing. Being a jerk is not accepted. And if you are a jerk, guess what? You don't get to play. And you'll find very, very quickly, very, very quickly, how people can straighten themselves out when they don't get to play, right? So um, just some very, very interesting things going on in Norway. And when we talk about this theme for Crush here in 2022, organizational and team performance, a fantastic conversation with Joan Ryan to kick it off a few weeks back. You guys, if you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it. Go to crushperformance.com, go to the podcast and listen to it with Joan Ryan talking about her book, Intangibles. Man, what a fantastic way to kick off this year. But the Olympics happening right now, man, it couldn't. Couldn't be better. We're about six days into the Olympics right now. And again, that leaderboard when it comes to medals is going to change many, many times over the next week and a half. But let's keep a close eye on Norway and see where they wind up. If they don't finish first, they're not going to be upset. They're going to go back and evaluate where they performed well, where they didn't, and they're going to make some adjustments. It's going to be fun to watch. So Norway is certainly uh, an incredible study and organizational performance. An entire country is on board there. And it's no wonder they're a world leader when it comes to evaluating uh, the economy and the quality of life. They're always on the leaderboard there and for a good reason. So they're just fun to watch and let's watch them with great interest. Okay, we're going to cut out for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about getting kids involved in sport all around the world. Can you imagine if kids in Africa could see what kids in Alaska and Canada are doing for sport? Or kids in Colombia might be able to see what kids in northern China and northern Russia are doing for sport? Well, there's a program that's trying to connect kids through sport globally. We're going to talk about it with Graziella Thaik, the CEO of Optimization Hub, right after this. Stick around. This is going to be a fun one. Today's episode of Crush Performance is brought to you in part by our good friends at Inside Tracker. I've spent over 30 years working in elite and developmental sport, and we're constantly on the lookout for strategies and tools that'll help our athletes be at their very best when they train, compete, and when they recover. Inside Tracker has been a great addition to our performance programs, and the great news is it's not just for high performance athletes. Whether you like running, racing, or enjoying the great outdoors, Inside Tracker can help you be at your best. 
Listen, when we take in a new athlete or when we dive into our off-season training, we always work from the inside out because change is an inside job. Inside Tracker uses their patented algorithm that analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and then offers you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. It's the only human performance system that integrates real-time physiomarker information from your fitness tracker combined with your existing blood and DNA biomarker data. We don't merely show you the normal biomarker zones, we show you the optimal zones and the numbers that are best for your body. In sport, time is of the essence and there's not a second to lose. Another reason we love Inside Tracker. Track your progress and make meaningful adjustments based on real-time feedback from your body. And keep in mind, as your body improves, your blood biomarkers change too. Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way, helping you reach your performance goals and live a longer, healthier life. And I really want this for you, your family, and your athletes. So here's what we've got. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash crush. That's insidetracker.com backslash crush with a K for 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Discover your body's potential with Inside Tracker because what's inside is what counts. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back. We're back in business again. I am Jeff Crushell, and you're listening to Crush Performance. Hey, I want to thank everybody who reached out with um, stories of their injuries, wait times. Last week, I talked a bit about my experiences with my back and my back operation and all the trials and tribulations we went dealing with the very, very dysfunctional Canadian healthcare system and how incredible it was to get down to Atlanta and the Piedmont Hospital and get taken care of by the incredible Dr. Stephen Ray and his group down there. Uh, it was just a great experience. Now, that is something that my wife and I hadn't planned for in our financial future plans. So, um, we were just looking at the situation and you guys, listen, I, I honestly, there were days I couldn't stand. I couldn't sit. I couldn't lay down. It was just nonstop pain. And I, I couldn't take any more painkillers and a year, year and a half, two years on a waiting list. I, I just, I don't know. Listen, I don't think I could have done it. And I, and honestly, there were, there were days, like I can tell you there were days and we just had to find an answer. And so when Deb and I, Miss Crusher, Debbie and I sat down and looked at things, you know, we just looked at the financial plan and said, look, we got to take a loan. We got to remortgage the house. We got to, we will do what we need to do to get this done. And we pulled the trigger and, and I am back and I'm grateful for her support. I'm grateful for everybody down there, but um, you know, we've got to make some changes with the healthcare system up here. Every healthcare system has its issues for sure, but there are a few models out there that really do work. You know, the hybrid system of a really well-balanced public access system and a private access to those hybrid systems can really work. We'll talk more about that. And again, this is not a political show. I just want to thank the, the uh, outpours and the sharing and, you know, people who have been on the waiting list and been through similar experiences, you know, that it's really, really great to hear. And I, if there's anybody, you know, who wants some advice or needs some help, please do reach out for sure. It's just a terrible, terrible place to be. And you're helpless, right? You're absolutely helpless. Well, we just came off a conversation looking at Norway in terms of the Winter Olympics, and they have come up with an incredible model. They're one of the healthiest, happiest places on earth. When you look at the annual reviews of you know the happiest, most successful countries in the world, Finland, those Nordic countries got it together, right? And of course, they do have their issues like everywhere else. But when it comes to their sport, what a true, true study in organizational performance, as we discussed in the previous segment here. You know, I don't think you could ask for a better case study to tell you the truth. And when would you ever get an entire country? You know, you might have an organization, you might have a school like Harvard. Why is Harvard so prestigious? Why is the Juilliard School of Music so prestigious? You know, why are some businesses so successful? Why are some teams so successful? You know, you have those kinds of experiences, but to get a whole country and understand how they're operating. And if you really do dissect that and look at it, you know, it's not about giving your kids an opportunity, right? And we, we always, and we always will do the best for our kids that we can. There's no question about it. 
But that's not the secret sauce. We see that in in some of the you know first world nations and especially in North America for sure, where we have you know uh, uh, this incredible commitment to youth sport and supporting our kids in youth sport to, for the most part, no avail. Um, but that's not how it's really going to work. You have to have your kids in an environment where. It is pretty stress-free. Everybody's sort of similar mindset. You don't get that unless you have a whole country on board. You might have a community on board. That might work. We should look for some of those. And if you're in one of those communities, do let us know for sure. But the key to Norway's success in winter sports is how they approach their youth. No scorekeeping up to the age of 13. No stats up to the age of 13. Multiple sports, government-sponsored programs, so kids have access to sports. It's it's about um, access for all those kids. It's not exclusive and it's not expensive, right? There's eleven thousand clubs in Norway, and every family's part of a club. Every kid starts in a club, and they're volunteer-based, and and that's where you go have fun with your friends and your community. There's thirty thousand kilometers of cross-country trails in Norway. I'm going to go there just to experience it. You know, I really am. haven't been there. I've been to Sweden and Sweden is a beautiful, beautiful country and they're having some great success as well. But I haven't been to Norway, Finland, Iceland. Those are definitely on the bucket list. But it's all about the kids. How do we get our kids involved? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that really changed my life, you guys, was when I stepped away from professional sport. It was one of the hardest things I ever did. We made a family decision to step away from the Blue Jays. Third baby coming in. Our oldest daughter was going into grade school. My dad had had a heart attack. We wanted our kids to know their grandparents. So we made the very, very difficult decision of walking away from professional sport. And um, it was the hardest thing I ever did. I have to, to thank the people at the Blue Jays at that time. They made it Really, really easy. And I was a uh, part of that organization for many years. And I still know the guys there. Very, very close to some of the people there for sure. Um, but it was, um, they made it easy as hard as it was. But I quickly um, was asked by Major League Baseball to help them develop and oversee their global player development programs, which took me international for the first time for sport. And getting an idea of what's happening in Europe and what do you, what do the kids in Africa what are they dealing with in different parts of Africa and New Zealand and Australia and China getting insights into South America and Brazil and Nicaragua and in and, and some of the Pacific countries like Curacao, you know, really, really opened my eyes. It made me a better professional, but it also, I think, has really, really helped me help athletes tap into their potential. And one of the Really powerful things about that, I think, was when we would bring these kids together at our high performance camps, kids from all over the world, and they would be together for two or three weeks and get to know each other and get to understand, you know, hey, where they're coming from, where's your opposition coming from, where, where's that guy coming from, what do they have to deal with on a daily basis? It brought these kids together, made them better ball players. But one of the most rewarding things is when we started hiring minor league strength coaches in the off season when they really weren't with their teams, we would hire them to go and help us oversee these because I couldn't be everywhere. So we hired the minor league strength coaches to go to Europe and all these unbelievable places. And they would spend six weeks, come home for Christmas, go back for six weeks and oversee the programs. It was really good for those young strength coaches, their professional development as well. But connecting with people in other parts of the world is a powerful thing. And there's an unbelievable program that's attempting to do just that. So we are joined by our good friend, Graziella Thake, who is the CEO of Optimization Hub, the global home for resilience. One of those beautiful words that we just love here on Crush Performance. Graziella, welcome to the show. So glad you could join us. Crush, you know I like being on your show. It's fantastic to sit here with you. And you look so dapper. I really love that hat. Well, it's just a little something I do. Actually, the girls got me this for Christmas. So I've been sporting it around the house here as I rehab from my back surgery now, which is a story for another day. But uh, but I'm really excited to, to talk with you today because we're heading into 2022. Our theme this year, Graziella, is organizational and team performance, which is a, a real large encompassing uh, a topic but there's so much to learn here. And of course, with the Winter Olympics going on, things are just starting to come together. Um, you guys, you know, really put sport at the forefront at the Organizational Hub. And you have a fantastic new program called Sport on My Street, which I want to talk to you about. 
Um, but, you know, before we get to that, isn't it amazing? You know, one of the Olympics are just, it's one of my favorite things. You know, we get exposed to all of these different sports. And, uh, you know, I was sitting back watching the opening ceremonies the other day, watching all of these countries uh, come into the stadium. Some of them, I will humbly say, I had not heard of before. Maybe one or two of them going, hey, I, where, where in the world is that? Maybe one athlete, maybe two. But to see the world come together in the name of sport, uh, man, oh, man, what a moving experience every single time. I've got to agree with you. That community feeling, like I think something peels back in your heart every time you see a different face or a different flag or a different experience or a different expression. And, you know, you kind of realize the one uniting factor is we're all there to compete to our best about sports. But it is, it's a, you know, I think that's the beautiful part about sport is, you know, you take away the, the sense of the gladiator kind of forefront of um, perhaps the Romans, which always comes to mind, you know, when you start to think about going for that survival of the fittest. Sport's never been survival of the fittest, you know, when in its true sense, it's really about people coming together and really having that adventure, that fun, that play. But when you see something like the Olympics and the opening ceremony, you realize in that room, there is just so much energy in the stadiums and in the places around the Olympics that people have been pointing their lives towards that for four years, maybe 10 years. It's been this big goal and you can feel it through a screen. Like you can just feel how, you know, how much everyone's connected under the same umbrella, but also how much has gone before. And I think that gives that human potential feeling, the focus potential, the hope, the passion, the power. And that's why we all love watching it, because we can see someone striving to be their best, giving everything, you know, um, their best. And it's, it is sports entertainment, but it's also, it also could be us on the screen because we're walking with them, marching with them, being with them. Yeah, I agree. It is such a great thing. And, you know, um, I find ourselves in our house. It's on 24 hours a day for sure. And of course, we are from Canada. So we're cheering the Canadians on for sure. But it's great. We're watching, I think, uh, um, the slope style event the other day. And it was snowboard slope style. And we're cheering for every every athlete going down the hill, you know, and oh, ah, oh. And when they make a good run, they're cheering. But I'll tell you, one of the most moving experiences so far for me personally uh, was watching the female freestyle and the young girl from New Zealand getting the first New Zealand gold medal in the Winter Olympics. Oh my gosh. But to see all the other athletes from every other country country come in and, and hug her and pile on her like, like they'd all been just cheering for her. Oh my gosh. There is an image of sport at its finest. You know, and you said something really important because the image of sport is at, at its finest. It's like you can feel an image through the sounds that happen and you can see an image through the emotions that you might witness. So, you know, we see with our hearts and we see with our eyes. And in Italian, we say we see a locchio, you know, you see with the eye, but the eye can be through the heart as well. And it is that. It's the, it's the, it's the emotion and the enthusiasm and that feeling of being together. And gosh, don't you just want that for everyone? Yeah, I, I really do. I really do. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. That's kind of one of the drivers behind Crush Performance. And I certainly know since you and I have connected through mutual friends uh, and everybody at Optimization Hub, um, that's one of your mandates as well. And that's why we're so glad to embark on some exciting uh, projects with you coming up here in 2022. But for our listeners, you've been on the show before, but for some of our new listeners uh, that are joining us, maybe we could just do a quick recap of uh, what the Optimization Hub is all about and this whole incredible thing that we're calling resilience, Graziella, as you being the CEO, of course. Hey, look, really happy to. So home of resilience, I guess, you know, when we look at the world and we look at where we are today, we look at a very overstimulated populace of people. And as you know, Crash, my background was in forensic psychology and then went into sport and did a lot in change management. And so 30 years under my belt of working in psychology in various different fields and in change management, multinationals, sports environments, 
sport was always alongside what I was doing, no matter where I was, even forensics, even working, you know, in government departments. And one of the things that was a constant, you know, I would get asked to teach leadership and, you know, I'd be giving speeches and I'd be talking about things. And it, constantly the barometer comes back to mental performance and it comes back to, you know, how are we conveying our message or communicating or behaving or adapting? So we have our, you know, emotional intelligence that we talk about and we have our intelligence quotient that we speak about and our social intelligence. But adaptability is something we haven't really considered or spoken about and we haven't advanced preparing ourselves really well for what's in front of us. And so resilience is that term that actually is a bit of backwards planning, saying I need to plan for what could happen so that the eventual poor possibilities of that don't occur. And resilience is also the ability to be able to make it through, you know, adjustments and changes and, you know, things that are constants in life. And so the optimization hub is a response to both, you know, that endemic need that we have to perform at our best and take charge of our futures because we want to feel safe and powerful. And most of the issues on our planet draw back to our mental health and well-being. So even the propensity to grow um, disease or to diffuse disease is about how mentally strong we are and how well we're able to take on board our own mental strength of character and work with that through times where we have to be what's called resilient. Now, I hesitate over the words mental health and resilience because I don't actually believe they've been well-defined. To us at the Optimization Hub, the capacity to be mentally healthy is about having the right kind of tools on board to meet challenges, to meet social constructs, to meet emotional situations really well, feeling confident and whole in yourself and healthy. Now, to be equipped with that, we need, you know, the, the sort of to be endowed with the skills. And we particularly focused on sport because sport is a natural community context. And we particularly looked at the fact that, you know, we were offboarding a lot of athletes with mental health problems. Have we not, have we missed a step here around education? And, you know, are we preparing our athletes? Because we, we actually professionalize our athletes very, very young. And because we have 12, 13, maybe 10-year-olds professionalizing in sport, or we have sport becoming that pressure contest because it's become a bit of a pressure cooker, it's highlighted for us perhaps what, you know, we all know is that our mental health is our health. And so for us to be able to work well in sport or to perform at our best, we need to be mentally healthy and well. To provide those tools is also to provide training and education. And so we're an educational forum. We're an academy of development that runs a series of programs like a curriculum in a school from the age of 12 right through to coaches and leadership. We have resilience programs for um, people in their workplaces. I think the precious programs for us are the early years programs that we, we call them our earlier years programs, which are our 12 through to, you know, 18s, because we know that that's a critical time for the development of mental agility skills and tools to be able to make it through life with adjustments through change or resilience. And often we don't teach our children those tools. So, you know, that's where post 18, you can have a deterioration in mental health. And so we're a prevention-based platform for sport and for life, but we also offer a range of curriculum for sport specifically, for business specifically, and for young people in school specifically. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And I love the fact that you're using sport as sort of that delivery vehicle. It's kind of a a real, it can be a really safe, non-assuming environment if it's set up properly. And that's truly what this is all about. We're talking with Graziella Thake, the CEO of the Optimization Hub. 
Well, I am really, really excited about 2022 here for a number of reasons. And uh, the very special program you guys have launched called Sport on My Street is one of those very, very reasons. I am so fired up about this. Maybe let's introduce our audience to this, Graziella. We're going to be following up with this, everybody, uh, throughout the year. There's so many cool things going on. And and just to give everybody sort of a, a little... Um, uh, preemptive idea of what it's all about. One of the things I'm excited most is trying to get uh, a feel for what kids from around the world think about sport, but also maybe more importantly, what sport means to them. This is such a great program. We love it. We love it. I mean, it's just, you know, it was an answer to actually just sitting and listening to young people saying to us, hey, you know, I haven't been able to qualify. I haven't been able to, where am I going to next? And we were hearing this over and over. And obviously when the pandemic hit, there were a number of 14 through 17 year olds and then 17 through 20 year olds who lost a lot of age group qualifications, a lot of goals, a lot of propensity to be able to dialogue and meet together with children of other cultures. They couldn't travel any longer. There was also a change in congregating around sport. So massive amounts of young people dropped out of sport. And all of this started to look like a massive mound of grief. And we started to say, how can we respond to this? So the campaign itself is because we already are running programs around mental health was to almost supplement that as a connection platform to say, we need to do more. So we asked ourselves, what more could we do? And in listening to Georgia, who works for us as an intern, and she sort of said, oh, you know, Gracie, hey, I haven't been able to travel for like three years. Like I graduated and then I just haven't been able to go anywhere. So from 17 to 20, she's gone zero. She hasn't been able to travel. And if you think about that, that's kind of the adventure time. And sport hasn't been easy and other things have become more difficult. And so you take that a little bit wider and you start looking at those other age groups that we spoke about and you think wow there is an absolute cohort globally who are totally missing out who totally will not have those rights of passage who maybe have their dreams crushed or maybe will never meet those people that they could have met if those opportunities had been there don't we owe them something so we want to give them something back Sport on my street is giving the kids something back. It's saying, hey, show us what it looks like. Tell us how you feel. Tell us your hopes and dreams. Let's listen. Let's hear. Let's connect. And let's connect all of you together. Now, we can't solve the lost three or four years, but maybe we can give them three or four years forward. I love it. And just framing it up like this can be really, really helpful as well. And one of the things that I think is really important here is just knowing you're not alone. You're going to get connected with strangers who are experiencing and maybe feeling the exact same things you are, and they might be from the other side of the world. It's incredible. Graziella, I'll tell you one thing um, that really, I believe, expanded me as a person, and it is through sport. Um, after I was done with the Blue Jays, you know, the getting that beautiful organizational high-performance environment that it's just so incredible. Um, I stepped away from the Blue Jays for family reasons. And we moved into the world of, of helping Major League Baseball develop their global player development programs. And what, what an incredible experience was that it was for me personally, but also professionally, just getting the context of what's happening in certain parts of Africa or even in certain area, different areas of Europe. And also understanding how the cultures work together and then going down to Brazil and, and South America. Uh, it really has painted this picture for me that I just you, you just cannot get uh, unless you travel. I, I'm thinking, you know, when I look at this incredible program called Sport on My Street and, you know, looking at some of the posts that these youngsters are sharing from all over the world, boy, oh boy, am I, I'm getting the same feeling. Isn't that incredible? I, and it is, it's just like that. You know, just this morning, we were spending some time with some kids in Jamaica, sharing some kids with Dal from Dallas with them, boys and girls. And talking about the difference of what basketball looked like in those two areas, connecting their images up, then talking to them about some kids in Africa from Australia. So, you know, how incredible is that? You, you sort of, you get this sense and feeling even just through 
talking to them, there was an excitement, a sense of, and the excitement's what we're loving because we're bringing the excitement into their homes, into their environment, and it's reigniting the connectivity and the passion and the interest and the sense of I can and adventure. And that's what sport gives you is adventure. And we've been missing that for the last two or three years. We need to reteach our kids that adventure and that connectivity. We're talking with Graziella Thake, the CEO of the Optimization Hub and one of the uh, leaders of this incredible new program called Sport on My Street. So I have it up on my other screen and I'm just smiling, looking at all the images. Um, Graziella, for, for young athletes who want to get involved or for coaches who might want to exp expose their teams to this, um, how does it work? What's it all about? And how can kids from around the world uh, get involved? So we're going to hit you up with a URL, which Crash is going to share with you. So you can actually link up on Instagram or on Facebook. You simply get on there, load the program up, share an image of what sport looks like through your window or on your street. And share with us where you are in the world, what you're doing, what you love about sport, and what your hopes and dreams are. And then connect, start connecting, start connecting, being part of the community. We'll welcome you with open arms. Coaches who want us to present to their teams will present, we'll connect them, we'll connect them with other coaches. Sports who are interested in getting involved will connect them with other sports in other parts of the world. Athletes who just are thinking about them for themselves and they're thinking, I can't go there myself. Of course you can. You're totally welcome. The world of sport is your world. And every single sport in the world is part of your friendship group. Yeah. Well, there's some very special people here. And I want to read this little window uh, from, the, from the storyboard from the uh, Sport on My Street. And it's one of our very special partners in this, in this campaign. It says, hello. I'm a 20-year-old touch football athlete, and it's been tough through this pandemic, finding it hard to connect. My goal is to reconnect 30 to 100,000 athletes to their dreams, visions, and goals. Share what sport looks like for you as we push through these difficult times. Join a global community in a love for sport. And that's Georgia. Oh, my goodness. And it's happening right before our eyes. It is. It is. It'd be fantastic to see so many more of you young people involved, so many more communities, so many more coaches who perhaps are looking for something else, so many more parents who are just wanting to reignite hopes and dreams, get onto Sport on My Street. Yep. I love it. I love it, Graziella. Hey, uh, just as we part ways here today, uh, maybe any final words for our listeners? I'm really excited about this. We'll be sharing the URLs. We're going to be posting some of the messages from athletes around the world, and this is going to continue. Um, the program's timeline now, we have sort of a set timeline, uh, but it's already looking like it's blowing up to be something bigger than we could have even imagined. Well, we're kind of being asked to keep Sport on My Street up and live for a couple of years. So we're People who are wanting to share their stories now, we were set to complete by about May and we're looking at now trying to push this out. But we really want you to get involved and we want to listen to what you want to do and what you need. We're hoping by the end of this year, we've got enough images and we've got enough connectivity around the world to, to build a book that's part of your story, be your story for life. Come and tell the world your story. Yep, I love it. On Facebook, you can search out uh, Sport on My Street and on Instagram, at Sport on My Street. Graziella, hey, thanks for all you guys do. Like, listen, and I say that for me, my athletes, my family, and pretty much everybody I know, but but these are the kind of things that, you know, I'll, I'll, look, all the troubling times, the COVID, the political landscape, uh, sport is just such a beautiful world to be in. We need to get more people in there. We need to keep them there. And I think this community that we're building through uh, Optimization Hub and Sport on My Street are two very, very important vehicles. I'm so proud. Thank you for uh, asking me to be involved. Crash, I love working with you. And I'm just so happy and excited of all the things we're going to be able to do together that are going to benefit a global community. So great. Thank you. Awesome, Graziella. We'll talk to you soon. And we're going to be looking forward to tapping into that incredible um, 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 infrastructure and the incredible people that are involved in optimization of and sport on my street around the world. Some great stories coming our way. Oh, we got some exciting people to share with you. So go for it. They're right. just they're chomping at the bit. Well, I can't wait. I'll tell you that much for sure. There you go, everybody. Graziella Thake, the CEO of the Optimization Hub. You can check them out at theoptimizationhub.com. And for the 
Sport on My Street campaign that's underway. You can go to Facebook, check them out, Sport on My Street, and on Instagram, at Sport on My Street. Some fantastic stuff. Get your kids involved. If you're a coach, if you're a parent, hook up with kids around the world and share your sporting experiences. What a great, great program for sure. More to come from those guys as we move forward. All right, that'll do it for today, everybody. I hope you're able to tune in and enjoy those Olympics. There's so much going on. Super Bowl coming up. We've got... NHL hockey, NBA playoffs right around the corner, uh, Major League Baseball, fingers crossed. Things will start rumbling away there if they get that CBA under control. Uh, a lot of great things going on. But most importantly, get out there, enjoy sport yourself. Whatever your passion is, get out there, get a little bit better, have some fun, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now, don't forget to ride. This is a Dark to Light with Frank and Beans Quick Fix on Radio Influence. All right, let's move to the Canada truckers real quick because there's been a lot of movement over the weekend between their fundraisers and what the government there is doing. And um, I, I don't know, like I was talking to a good friend of mine and we were talking about it and he was saying, I feel like this there's like divine um, supervision over this thing. But a video came out this morning in the library of truckers that are there that are saying, nah, this was a somewhat symbolic action by these cops. They haven't really done anything to us. Everything's still moving. We've still got our stuff coming in. We're fine. Nothing's changed. I think there's a lot of weirdness going on here. I think there's a lot of cops who don't want to stop these guys from doing what they're doing. So they're like, oh, we just took your can of fuel. Good luck. You see? Yeah. And then there's other ones that are saying, you know, we need a media narrative out there that we're winning. So this is what we're going to do. But uh, I think the reality on the ground is much different. And now the people that organize this have a big legal team. Obviously, um, the government there is apparently doing like surveillance and getting everybody's plate and they're going to criminally charge everyone. And it's basically like what they're, they did with January 6th. They're going to go and look through facial recognition and start sending people you know, warrants and tickets and whatever. And the truckers are all like, sorry, sucks to be you. We're staying right where we are. We're not going anywhere. Right. The United States convoy is starting to percolate too, Frank. They've got a little route plans now. And that's that that is that was supposed to start in what? March. Uh, Oh, in March. Yeah, they'll start March one. And it's going to be from California to D.C., they said. Yeah, but now they're starting to say, you know what? Maybe we should spend some time in D.C., but actually, we should go park our trucks across the southern border instead. Oh, well, makes sense. I mean, somebody's got to be down there I mean, to help those Border Patrol agents that aren't getting any help from anybody. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.